Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them, and I want Sancher Takagi to adopt me. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we have a deep dive on none other than Sanshiro Takagi, a rare and fascinating man in the Japanese wrestling industry, known not only for his ring work, but for his business sense, leadership, and innovation. In this episode, we discuss the early life of Takagi, his in-ring career, how he took a little no-name indie promotion to new heights, and became president of a major wrestling conglomerate in Japan. So let's get going, because this one is going to be fire! Takashi Takagi, better known by his ring name, Sanshiro Takagi, was born in Toyonaka, Japan on January 13, 1970. Growing up, Takagi described himself as a TV kid. In his 2016 feature in Baseball Magazine's Wrestler Human Story 2, The Resume of a Male Pro Wrestler, he noted that he was particularly obsessed with Caster Television's Romper Room. He notes that as a child, he didn't collect dolls or play sports like soccer or baseball with the neighborhood kids. Rather, he was a mischievous and active child who preferred to play pretend, going so far as imitating the anthropomorphic bee characters from the Japanese version of the romper room, Niko-chan and Komada-chan, in a kindergarten school play. His father, who worked in the technical department of Mayanichi Broadcasting, now known as MBS TV, was often too busy to take Takagi anywhere to play. So instead, he began to bring his son to work. From there, Takagi came to really admire the behind the scenes work that went into television production. Takagi's first exposure to pro wrestling was when he was seven years old through the 1977 All Japan Fifth Anniversary World Open Tag Championship. Specifically, the match between the Funks, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk, and Shija Sai Koyaku Kombi, Abdullah the Butcher, and the Sheik. Takagi viewed this match the same way a child would view any fictional media like anime or tokusatsu and began playing wrestling at school with his friends the very next day. He goes on to state that even as an elementary school student, he had already picked up on the flow of wrestling matches. And through playing out matches, he was showing his producing skills and his ability to build a show by looking at the big picture. Once he grew older, he knew his dream was to become a pro wrestler. In order to do that, he knew he needed to play some sort of sport. However, his junior high school didn't have a judo club. So he ended up putting it off until high school. The way that he comes to appreciate television production and then the way that his love of pro wrestling developed, it almost feels like a TV movie in and of itself. It really does. This um, whole interview read very much like a Hallmark movie in a lot of ways. And uh, it's really cool to me. It's really interesting to me that he always saw wrestling as fictional. 
Um, you contrast that with DDT's current ace, Konosuke Takeshita, who really, really liked Common Rider until his father told him, oh, Common Rider is fake, but wrestling, wrestling is real. So he sort of grew up a little bit as a mark, um, whereas Takagi <laughs> always saw it as being a fictional story played out. And I think that really speaks to Takagi in general. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's such a great point. So when he entered Kansai Okura High School, he did finally join Judo Club, where his seniors and classmates were all wrestling enthusiasts. He states in that baseball magazine feature that he took advantage of the fact that his advisor was elderly and took a lot of time off. So he ended up doing whatever he wanted in the club. He did not do much in the way of ukemi, which is the judo art of falling. Instead, Takagi states that he learned bumps by being thrown with uh, backdrops and brain busters. <laughs> Practice in the judo club consisted almost entirely of wrestling techniques. He describes the club as more of a wrestling club disguised as a judo club. In fact, Takagi won a judo don promotion exam with a backdrop. <laughs> Takagi wasn't even really aware that he was doing judo and thought he was just doing his favorite wrestling for three straight years. <laughs> After graduating high school, he attended Komazawa University in Tokyo. Komazawa did not have a student wrestling club at the time, so he watched professional wrestling matches on his own. He specifically recollects the spring of 1988, where UWF Japan was relaunched as newborn UWF. He stayed in line at Currican Hall overnight to buy a ticket for the show day of. So really, really big fan. <laughs> Speaking of UWF, Takagi also managed to get a ticket to the Ariaki Coliseum event, the third round of newborn UWF's big launch. He states he was deeply influenced, particularly by Akira Maeda versus Gerard Gordeaux from the show and decided to try learning Sambo from Konosuke Hagiwara for about a year. Around the time he was in his third year of college, he states that his love of pro wrestling actually began to cool off and his obsession with television that started in his childhood began to reappear. Takagi expressed that he had a desire to be on TV when he first came to Tokyo for school, and he eventually joined his university's TV program study group, which led him to work as a studio audience member and extra on certain TV shows with the club. As they continued to do this, some of the members began to insist that they wanted to hold their own events, and one day they were invited to a party at Maharaja in Azabujuban where they decided that they wanted to hold an event where people could gather together in unity and excitement with a secondary intention on raising money for the club. Takagi spearheaded this event. According to TV director Rinkaro Okada, Takagi succeeded in attracting 3,000 people to this school event that he had organized. After that, he worked on one event after another, and his desire to become a professional wrestler had seemingly vanished without a trace. He was already being ushered into the VIP room of every club he went to, and producers of major TV stations and people in the entertainment industry were looking at recruiting him after university. It was thought that he would go on to become a successful event planner or producer. 
Although he didn't gain any physical experience during this period of his life, he states that he gained the most from his liberal arts background, specifically honing his producing skills, know-how for successful events, and even learning audience theory. Takagi speaks on an event he worked for the late Ai Ijima, a Japanese media personality and activist, as an example of this know-how he developed. He states, when I did an event for Ai Ijima, we decided to use the monitors that were available at the venue. So I made an opening video and played it. At the end, we played an end roll and closed the show with an ending credits ballad. This is why DDT was the first Japanese wrestling company to use video like this in earnest. And from my point of view, it was nothing special. The original source of these ideas, after all, was television and movies. That's how movies and trendy dramas end, isn't it? This is seen in DDT even today with having their own opening theme song, Get Ready, and for their large scale events, an ending theme, Into the Light, with full end credits, and recently they've added post-credit scenes. However, even though he was exploring a different career path at the time, the magnetic force of pro wrestling drew Takagi back in, in an unexpected way. After taking a leave of absence from university and traveling briefly in the United States, Takagi remained in college, repeating a year, stating that he didn't want to quit. This is when he met Bremen Oshima and became involved in a professional wrestling company as public relations staff member for Yatai Pro Wrestling, which was regularly held at a food stall village. This is where the promotion took its name, as Yatai is Japanese for food cart and that was located in Yokohama's Surumi Ward. In March, 1994, he graduated from university and in August of the same year, he joined the IWA Fighting School run by Goru Surumi and decided to formally participate in Yataimura Pro Wrestling. He decided on his ring name of Sanchiro Takagi inspired by Matoku Kobayashi's manga, Ichini no Sanchiro, after the main character, Higashi Sanchiro. He had a match at Yataimura Pro Wrestling on December 31st, 1994 against Chotaro Kamoi. Technically, this was his pro wrestling debut. However, since Yataimura Pro Wrestling did not keep official records, his official debut is usually considered as being against troubleshooter Kotsu, also known as Masahiko Kochi, at the Pro Wrestling Crusaders PWC Shibuya event on February 16th, 1995. After his debut at Yataimura, he continued his event planning activities, but his social circle often asked him, Takagi-san, why do you do pro wrestling? It's not profitable. You can gather thousands of people, but instead you're wrestling with drunks in a food stall village. <laughs> they were appalled. It was obvious that it would be more financially wise and comfortable to choose the path of an event producer. Regarding this, Takagi states in Baseball Magazine, I wanted to keep my social life and wrestling life separate. The reality of not being recognized was frustrating. I used to go to events and clubs and be ushered into the VIP room immediately. But in the wrestling world, I was a flat graduate, silenced by the industry and my peers. I had a strong feeling that this was not my destiny. In 1996, he signed to PWC. 
The organization was extremely small with very few people on staff. Because of his experience with producing events from his university days, he became a part of the management of PWC, despite being a brand new wrestler at the time. When we were preparing for this episode, and I was kind of thinking about all of the the research you had put together for this, I was trying to think of someone else that we had talked about or that that we were a fan of that had even like a remotely similar background to Takagi in terms of how Taylor made his background is to this industry. Like, can you even think of someone who has this sort of background? I really can't. It's really interesting. I actually remember a interview ages and ages ago with Dalton Castle, who was a theater kid who did a lot of sports. And I think that's probably the closest I can get. (laughs) I remember him specifically saying, well, I like sports and I like entertainment. What should I do with my life? And that's really how I feel about Takagi is, well, I like wrestling and I like, yeah. So uh, that's, that's the closest I can think of. No one really, especially in uh, Puro, that has really struck me in that way where he is just so in tune with both wrestling and the entertainment industry. And we'll talk yeah. about that a lot throughout this episode. Absolutely. So that same year, uh, 1996, he ran in the 41st general election for the House of Representatives in Kanagawa Prefecture's 9th District as a Liberty Union certified candidate. He was ultimately unsuccessful. That was new for me, I think. I'm not sure I knew that he did this, and that made me laugh because it's just, it's weird and also sort of not weird that there's so many wrestlers who have tried to run for office or have been successful in running for office, but... That was new for me. Don Shokodino did too. Yeah, I, I did. Weirdly enough, I did know that. That's <laughs> so I funny. Did, but I didn't know about Takagi and it just like that blew my mind. It made me laugh so much. Yeah, it is really interesting to me. Um, and he's so charismatic. I would have thought that he would have uh, would have gotten succeeded. further. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In a fantastic English interview with Liam Wyatt of the wrestling podcast for Inside the Ropes, Sanchiro Takagi recounts how his time in PwC came to an end. He recalls the summer of 1996, in which he, alongside the other PwC wrestlers, such as Nozawa Rongai and Mikami, were able to draw 1,500 fans to a venue called Luna Park. However, just four days later, they were only able to draw 80 fans to Kitazawa Town Hall. Kenji Takano, the president of PwC, was so furious that he threatened to disband the promotion. Most of the wrestlers assumed this was just a threat to get them fired up, but apparently it was in earnest, ending the promotion and devastating the talent. Takagi was set to retire from wrestling after PwC, but Nozawa and Koichiro Kimura talked Takagi into putting his event planning skills to good use and to help them start a new promotion. I was put in the position before I could come up with a vision, he states, suddenly tasked with leading a promotion along with Nozawa, Mikami, and Shintaro Muto, and thus Dramatic Dream Team, or as we know it today, DDT Pro Wrestling, was born. Dramatic Dream Team had its first pre-launch flag-raising event on March 25th, 1997. The purpose of this event 
was to test audience reaction and see if they had enough traction to make it to a full flag raising event. They conducted a survey with the audience after the show, asking them if they would like to see the promotion continue. About 270 people were in attendance, and of those, about 150 people voted in favor of raising the flag on Dramatic Dream Team. It was not a large number, but it was encouraging to know that there were so many people who supported us, and even though we were small, I felt we had a good response. Takagi writes in a 2018 interview with Nobuaki Hattori for Synapse Magazine. They held their official first flag raising event on May 14, 1997 at Kitazawa Town Hall, which I found really interesting is the same venue where PWC had that massive failure that ended to the- uh, Oh, I love that, yeah. Isn't that good? Also, I find interesting that Judgment, their anniversary show is held in March rather than in May, which was when their official flag raising was. So mm-hmm. I actually find it kind of cute that they consider their anniversary as being that free, that pre-launch flag raising rather yeah. than their official flag raising. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. From there, Takagi faced a great deal of challenges as both a wrestler and as company management struggling to find a way for Dramatic Dream Team to make a mark in a tough and competitive wrestling industry. It is important to note at this time, DDT did not have any major stars that appeared in bigger organizations such as AJPW or NJPW or even the growing UWF or Super World of Sports. In his interview with Hattori, he states that he feared this would spell the end of the promotion before it even truly began. He speaks on his own frustration towards the lack of success, but he also speaks on his motivation to find a way to succeed. As wrestling fans, we love stories of fallen wrestlers who take on challenges without giving up and grow little by little. So I also felt that even an organization like ours, which is not well known, would surely be supported by the fans if it overcame hurdles one by one. So I have a question for you. Yes. We know today that DDT's way of building a star is really unique compared to the other major companies. Do you think that the initial struggle of having to survive without major stars influences their approach to making stars today? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. They are really organic in a lot of ways. We're going to talk a little bit about sort of how the dojo works uh, towards the end of the episode and his philosophy in finding stars and uh, building stars, but they really start putting them up the card a lot younger than a lot of companies do. And I think that there really is something to be said for them putting a lot of value into not only homegrown talent, but really pushing these stars early and getting them up there on that card because they didn't really have a lot of stars to begin with. They didn't have a starting ground. They had to go off of nothing and get these people over as fast as possible. One incredibly fascinating thing is that DDT actually started its life as a very serious and traditional wrestling company. Pride and UWF were gaining popularity, and the MMA style of wrestling was dominant. In the early days, 
Dramatic Dream Team started out more traditional with many of the junior wrestlers losing to the senior wrestlers and wrestling a much more shoot-based style. However, these major companies also capitalizing on this popularity meant that a smaller company couldn't stand out or make its mark. This troubled Takagi, stating that he did not really see this style as profitable. This is when somebody first showed Takagi a tape of WWF and Sancho Takagi was struck with an epiphany. He states in his interview with Liam that the first American wrestling that really spoke to him was Stone Cold Steve Austin's feud with Vince McMahon. To him, that storyline of Vince, the president of his own company, being put in increasingly terrible situations was peak comedy. He wished to replicate that along with the quality wrestling that WWF was known to have at the time. Sancho Takagi styled himself for the most part on Stone Cold for his DDT persona, having the glass breaking sound in his opening theme and regularly using a stunner as his finisher. In addition, he parodies Austin 316 with his own scripture, Takagi 346, which in Japanese number puns can be read as San Shi Ro. However, as much as Takagi enjoyed WWF's style and antics, DDT did not have the budget to fully emulate their style. So they cut down the costs and incorporated Japanese style of comedy, such as what you would see on popular Japanese variety shows. At the time, he states, most wrestling in Japan was very serious and very strong style with just a little bit of comedy here and there in the mid card. DDT needed to differentiate itself, so we aggressively took comedy as part of our style. He then states that most of their comedy at the time was taken as a parody of major promotions. This can be seen in the character I mentioned of him parodying Stone Cold Steve Austin, but also in other corners of the industry, such as including impersonations of Atsushi Onita and Kensuke Sasaki. To me, this actually calls back to Takagi's words about DDT overcoming hurdles little by little, finding ways around not having any major stars to draw people in by parodying major stars and allowing their audience to engage in the wrestling and wrestlers they knew and loved, but from a different angle. Naturally, doing something so against the grain featured some pushback. At first, there seemed to be some resistance among fans, and we received phone calls to our office saying, we can't allow a joke group like yours to call itself professional wrestling, Takagi recounts. After all, there were many fans at the time who considered professional wrestling to be sacred, and wrestlers like us were bashed because they thought we didn't have the skills to wrestle. However, Takagi became convinced that they were truly on the right track with DDT on December 22nd, 1999 with their Ichiribachi or make or break show, which was their very first show at Currican Hall. They sold out the show with about 2000 tickets sold and Takagi was totally touched by seeing this tiny from scratch organization sell out Currican Hall, a sacred place for pro wrestling and martial arts. I was convinced we were on the right path, 
he tells Hattori. This show can be found on Wrestle Universe, and I highly recommend it for seeing how DDT has changed over the years. The show is also particularly interesting because you can really see Takagi's role as the ace of the promotion from these early years. The entire crowd is loudly behind him as he feuds with Masao Orihara and a fake Atsushi Onita, which is really funny, by the way, cheering his name with infectious enthusiasm. The sheer level of crowd support that this man is capable of getting even this early into his and therefore DDT's career is truly not to be underestimated. You have to see his crowd connection to really believe it. I highly recommend watching this whole show from bell to bell, but particularly the main event. Naturally, a lot of DDT's early ideas came from WWE, such as their Iron Man Heavy Metalweight Championship, which is a parody of WWE's now defunct WWE Hardcore Championship, a gimmick that has since been revived in 2019 by the 24-7 title. However, a lot of other ideas simply came from Takagi's own love of pop culture and constant need to reinvent wrestling and find new ways to connect with fans. One really great example that I love is discussed in part two of his fantastic interview with Hattori, and that is Poison Sawada, a wrestler who had captured some attention in the indies, but couldn't seem to catch a break with the audience after joining DDT in 1999. Takagi brainstormed what to do to get Sawada's character over for some time before catching a movie on TV called Makai Tensei, in which the main character casts a spell that binded his enemy in gold. He then utilized that idea and brought that idea to Sawada. They rebranded him as Poison Julie Sawada and turned that spell from the movie into a move where Sawada would cast a big spell on an opponent to keep them from moving. This harkens back to his days of doing event planning with his university, where he drew on inspiration from TV dramas and movies and brought them to a live event. This is a specific genius that Takagi has seemed to carry his entire life and career. This also speaks to Takagi's core belief that you simply can't get ahead by doing the same thing as everyone else. However, while Takagi had been working on the business side of DDT since its inception, he was always a wrestler first. He worked with the owners of the company at the time to promote the show and push ideas forward, but he also had a lively career in the ring. Takagi first won the KOD Openweight Championship on December 14th, 2000, defeating Poison Julie Sawada, Super Uchu Power, and Tomohiko Hashimoto in a four-way match, becoming the fourth champion to hold the title. This was a classic match of good versus evil in the end, with Takagi facing off against the wicked Sawada, who was champion at the time. The crowd goes absolutely nuts for Takagi's win on the biggest and final show of the year, truly establishing Takagi as an early ace of the promotion. This was his first belt with the promotion overall, and he held it for 104 days before dropping it to exciting Yoshida. He would win the belt two more times in 2002, once on May 3rd 
where he would hold it for an entire 28 days before dropping it to Kentaro Kanemura, which is not actually his shortest run with this belt, by the way. On not September, <laughs> no, no, it is not. We'll talk about that one later. Uh, on September 7th of the same year, he would get his revenge on Kanemura to win the belt back for a third time. In the meantime, he managed to win the Ironman heavy metalweight belt five times. He would go on to hold this belt 12 times so far, which was a surprisingly low number, especially when compared to Yuka Miyamoto's 184 times with that belt. That's an insane number. There's somebody else who held it for 183 times. So I assume that they just pinned each other back and forth for about yeah. 180 yeah some odd times yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, haven't seen it but if you guys see that happening and have found like a recording of it I would love to see it please dm us <laughs> on January 31st 2003 he won the KOD tag team championship with Tomohiko Hashimoto he would win this belt four more times in his career to date all with different partners Hashimoto, Ryuji Ito in July of 2004, Munamuri Sawa in February of 2010, and finally with Soma Takao in March of 2012. On May 4th, 2005, Sancho Takagi regained the KOD Openweight title once again by defeating Dick Togo in a no-rules match. He lost it five months later to Don Shokodino on October 23rd, 2005. In late 2003, Shoichi Ichiomiya, formerly of WAR, officially became president of Dramatic Dream Team, where it was rebranded to DDT Pro Wrestling, which is what we know it as today. On December 25th, 2005, so about two years later, Ichinomiya resigned as president, announcing his retirement from the pro wrestling industry. This left DDT without a president, but the hole was quickly filled, and by January 2006, Sanchir Takagi, after years of work and management with the company, had become the president of DDT. And in the most DDT way imaginable, they determined this with a wrestling match. On January 29th, 2006, DDT held a Royal Rumble to become the president of the company, in which Takagi defeated Futoshi Miwa, Gorgeous Matsuno, Ken Oka, Misada Sugihara, Naoya Kogia, President Akira Miwa, Riki Sensu, Toru Awashi, and of course, the most likely candidate, Yoshihiko, to become the official president of DDT. There's no other way he could have become president. Oh, right? no, absolutely not. I'm only surprised that there weren't more people in that battle royal to, <laughs> <laughs> for him to overcome. <laughs> he didn't win the KOD open weight belt again until three years later on September 28th, 2008. I talk a little bit about the match where he won it in our DDT factions episode, but this match is a steel cage match against Dick Togo. At this point, Dick Togo had been leading a devious interference heel faction known as Metal Vampire. Takagi was the extreme belt champion at the time, and having had enough with Dick Togo, they put both belts on the line in a steel cage match. 
I highly recommend watching this match as it is both brutal and extremely clever and shows off Takagi's best attributes in the ring. Not as perhaps what we would say a perfect or classical wrestler, but as a pure entertainer, putting his body on the line for the sake of the audience. Also a very good match for Dick Togo as well. His 2008 KOD reign is my personal favorite of his six runs with the belt. This is also his longest run at 218 days in which he defends it against some of the absolute best that DDT has come to offer through the years with Don Shokudino, Hiroshima, Kota Ibushi, and Hikaru Sato before finally losing the belt to Hiroshima on his second challenge at DDT Max Bump on May 4th, 2009. I was going to say, it seems like by 2008, DDT had certainly found a crop of stars. Oh, absolutely. Um, He actually mentions in that interview with Hattori that he was really um, pleasantly surprised by the amount of talent that they had managed to find a lot of uh, school wrestlers coming out of high school, coming out of college, and a lot of uh, people with minimal, you know, or just some martial arts background. And they've managed to really establish some incredible talent out of that, which they have continued to this day. You've even stated it just earlier this episode that they still continue that exact structure of just finding these talents and nurturing them and bringing them to the best that they absolutely can be. In 2008, Takagi published his first autobiography, We Are Cultural Wrestling DDT. In order to promote the book, he thought it would be a good idea to do a wrestling event at a bookstore, much like an author or celebrity would do a book signing. He thought it would be impossible, but to his shock, he found a place that would do it. They had about 200 people show up to this event which featured him facing off against Kota Ibushi. In order to fit all of the audience, they ended up fighting in the street after an exchange in the bookstore. This marks the very first Rojo or street wrestling show as we know them today on April 27th, 2008. Which I thought that's really cool. That is where wrestling, street wrestling comes from. And that's something that DDT is hugely known for. I will link that video Um, It's really incredible. It looks like it was filmed on a microwave and it's just pure, pure joy to watch. The best type of wrestler. Oh, it's wonderful. Up until 2008, DDT was going very well with extremely few cash flow problems until the collapse of the Lehman Brothers in the great 2008 recession, now known as the Lehman Shock. This was a serious blow to Japan in general, which you can read about on the Japan Center for Economic Research. I actually didn't realize how hit Japan was by this recession. It was really bad. Naturally, this nationwide recession really impacted the wrestling business in a dangerous way as well. And DDT found itself in a really big financial pinch. Takagi speaks on this with Hattori, recalling that banks would not give loans to a wrestling organization and there were no real sponsors to help. So Takagi decided to take a risk. On December 28, 2008, shortly after defending the KOD title against Hiroshima in Currican Hall at DDT's Nevermind 2008 show, Takagi announced that they would hold its first Ryogoku Kokugikan tournament in August 2009. 
I think we're setting limits for ourselves. You can't get to the top by doing that. You can't do anything if you set limits. He stated on the microphone, speaking on his passion and feelings for the first DDT big show in the promotion's career. Naturally, the rental fee for a venue like Ryogoku Kokugikan is very expensive. So while a full house meant a large profit, there was also the risk of a monumental loss if the crowd wasn't large enough. This was a huge gamble for DDT at the time, but the entirety of the DDT roster and staff worked together to put together what we now know as Ryogoku Peter Pan, I Won't Grow Up, on August 23rd, 2009. The attendance for the show was 8,865 attendees, a super no vacancy attendance. And just like that, DDT was saved from financial ruin. This story is like, outstanding and just speaks to really what makes Takagi such a special person in this industry. But it's also just so scary to reflect on how quickly DDT could have become some of the promotions that have been lost to history in Japan. Like they were that close. Oh yeah. They were, they were really, really um, on the verge. He actually mentions this several times in several different interviews. He talks about it the most with uh, Hattori, but even in that interview with Liam, he mentions it. Like this was a very serious thing that stuck out to his mind and it really almost led to the promotion um, disappearing. And the fact that he was able to just really push through and really believe in this project instead of just letting it go um, by the wayside, which speaks for his entire career. Like he always could have gone and done something else to be successful. He is an incredible man, but he believed in DDT and he believed in the wrestlers. He didn't want to go the way of PWC and just leave everybody uh, to go on their own way. And that's again, what makes him such a rare and incredible person. And on the same year, speaking of how great he is, Takagi was named as the second best promoter in the Wrestling Observer Awards 2009 by the Wrestling Observer. They are wrong. He is number one, but I still think it is kind of cool that he did place in an American publication. On September 26, 2010, he lost a retirement ceremony rumble with Muscle Sakai, so the loser had to retire that day and retired from active competition. However, after the match on the exact same day, he announced his return to active duty for the show the very next day. So dodged a bullet there. Sounds normal. (laughs) Sounds correct. Extremely, extremely DDT. On October 7th, 2010, At the announcement of the results of the DDT general election, Takagi did reveal that in December, he would transfer full-time to Union Pro Wrestling, one of DDT's affiliated organizations. He announced that he would be staying there for a year. This one, however, was not a rib. Sure enough, on December 3rd, 2010, Takagi formed a super faction called TKG48 to be an invading unit in Union Pro formed of 48 members inspired by popular idol group, AKB48. The unit did fairly well for itself in Union, only suffering its first loss in February of 2011 in a tag match in front of Jun Akiyama. I love this story, who was in attendance. 
Takagi attempted to recruit Akiyama to the unit by offering him both a prime spot in the faction and a pinup calendar of former AKB48 member Kojima Harna. Akiyama just stared at him, said nothing, and silently left the arena. I wonder if Akiyama ever accepted that calendar. (laughs) You know that I now can't rest until I know if Akiyama took the calendar. I really want to know if that came up in their D um, in their DMS when, <laughs> <laughs> when he was brought on as a coach, he's like, Hey, do you still have that calendar? <laughs> I think we'll have to get bold and maybe send a tweet to Akiyama-san one of these days. I would love that. At the end of 2011, Takagi announced he would suspend all activities in union and return to focusing on DDT full-time as president as he wanted to focus on the buildup to Budokan Peter Pan 2012, which would serve as their biggest show in the promotion's 15th year. And he had already made it 15 years, wow. (laughs) In January, 2012, Takagi returned to DDT full-time as promised, but he did introduce new Sanshiro Takagi, who is played by Keizo Matsuda, to take his remaining bookings in union. On February 19th, 2012, Despite being president of the company, he declared that DDT lacked proper anti-establishment. So his solution to this problem is to form a dissident group called the Anti-Establishment Army to cause some chaos and annoy general manager Aman Surumi, aka Hisaya Imabayashi, into doing a better job. The anti-establishment force later developed into NWJ, or New World Japan, According to Takagi, this was a unit that combined the best parts of Japanese and American wrestling anti-establishment units and compared it to Ishin Gundan mixed with NWO. The reason I mention this is because we discussed both of these units in our 11th episode on New Japan factions. And I just think it's really fantastic that you can see Riki Choshu specifically and his influence on every single corner of the industry, including here in DDT. So cool. He's so cool. (laughs) On April 1st, 2012, at DDT April Fool, Takagi won the KOD Openweight title for the sixth and so far final time against Dan Shokudino in 19 minutes. However, just a few minutes later, Masa Takanashi appeared with one of his Anytime Anywhere gauntlets and cashed it in to challenge Takagi. Two minutes later, Takagi lost the belt to Takanashi, making this his shortest reign in his career. On May 5th, 2015, he was appointed CEO of WrestleOne by WrestleOne president Keiji Muto at an event in Currican Hall. Muto states that in order for Wrestle One to succeed and take off for the future, he wanted to bring in a new person, introducing Sancho Takagi, aka the Dai Saicho of DDT, or the Big Boss, which is his common title among fans and wrestlers alike. Takagi states in the ring that he will be working in tandem as CEO of Wrestle One while still being president for DDT, but had no intention on wrestling for the company nor did he intend on bringing any wrestlers over from DDT. His intention was to use DDT's know-how to boost the size of WrestleOne's events, particularly for big match shows. Two years later, on April 1st, 2017, 
upon Kaz Hayashi taking over as president of WrestleOne, with Muto now a chairman of the company, Takagi stepped down as CEO and became an advisor. This role would last five months for him before he stepped down officially and left the company on September 6, 2017. He offered this resignation himself, stating at a press conference after their Yokohama Bunka gymnasium show that, I just thought it was the right timing. I recognize that today's big match is a new beginning for WrestleOne. I have launched many things, including the WrestleOne Dojo, and seeing the children who grew up at the dojo participating in various matches, I think I've accomplished one of my roles. He left the company in Hayashi's care and stated that the company's friendship with DDT would continue. Rachel, in your opinion, especially when we think about Takagi and some of the stuff that you've said about him and how he's always been thinking of the bigger picture and things, right? So what do you think the appeal of working with W1 was for Takagi, especially when he didn't want to use DDT wrestlers there? That's a really good question. I mean, first off with DDT and Wrestle One, they both have that sports entertainment influence. Mm -hmm. So I think he might have just seen his own value to that company and wanted to help them. He historically, and I actually have a quote that I pull later um, on in the episode, he historically does like to help out other companies. That's something that's very important to him and mm-hmm. um, having, you know, companies help him out during his, you know, dark times, especially we've you know talked about him, DDT and Noah's relationship. Um, that's something that he values a lot. I think he just really, really loves wrestling and loves the wrestling industry. And so he sees the value of his own experience as an event planner, as a producer, as a president of wrestling. And so when he's offered, hey, can you help us out? He's willing to step in and help out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think what strikes me so much about Takagi is that he could be a much more competitive person, Um, right? Within the industry in Japan. And It's not to say that he isn't, but there are times where he can be incredibly selfless. And I think that maybe this is perhaps one of those instances. Yeah, I think he is competitive, but he's not bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. He's not willing to watch other companies, especially smaller companies, suffer. Um, He he wouldn't even really want to watch big companies suffer. I don't think he believes in monopolies. Um, Obviously, I can't really speak for that, but from what I've seen, of him, um, both his, you know, work as a president, but also a lot of his ring work as well really speaks to valuing um, collaboration and wanting those affiliate companies and wanting to help out other companies. I can talk about that on at length, but I really uh, do believe that that is at the core of his beliefs. Right. What is it? Without professional wrestling, there could be no world peace. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Oh, yeah. On September 1st, 2017, 100% of DDT shares were sold to the cyber agent digital advertising company. Sancho Takagi remained as the DDT president, while cyber agent director Takahiro Yamauchi took over as the new DDT director. On April 1st, 2018, at their annual April Fool show, a loser's expulsion match was held. 
Sancho Takagi and Toru Awashi were given the task of banishing one wrestler from DDT to keep the roster from overflowing. They chose eight wrestlers based on their most negative characteristics and put them in a big match in which if you get a pin, you may leave the ring. The last loser standing would have to fight both of the judges, Takagi and Awashi. And the loser of that handicap match would be banished from DDT. Kazuki Hirata was the last man standing. Big shock. (laughs) But the other seven members of the roster come back and rolled Hirata onto Takagi. Thus, Daisaicho Sanchir Takagi was officially banished from DDT. He tried to play it off as an April Fool's joke, but he was carried off from the venue by Yuki Ino in a sexy cop outfit, by the way. <laughs> Definitely check out that, that match. Sounds it's about eight. right. It's about eight minutes long as well. <laughs> <laughs> Later that month, he was scheduled to appear in Gambare Pro Wrestling. So it maybe seemed like, okay, maybe he was going to take a break. But no, in classic DDT fashion, this whole plot line was quickly ignored as a joke. And he was back in DDT by April 17th, 2018. On January 28th, 2020, cyber agent purchased Pro Wrestling Noah and Sanjiro Takagi was appointed president of NOAA as well as remaining president of DDT. On September 1st, 2020, Cyber Fight Inc. was officially established, a new company established through the business merger of DDT Pro Wrestling and NOAA Global Entertainment, along with affiliate companies Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling and Gombare Pro Wrestling. To this day, Takagi continues as a pro wrestler and president of CyberFight. As a wrestler, he still seeks to build the next generation and to make sure the company is in good hands both in and out of the ring. This is sort of what we talked about earlier. In training new wrestlers in the DDT dojo, Takagi is very clear that wrestlers start with the basics and only focus on one coach at a time. But more than that, He states that the true goal of a wrestler is not to fight with their opponents, but to entertain the audience, stating to Hattori, and this is probably my favorite quote of his, the winner is the one who makes the audience excited. Of course, wrestlers fight against their opponents, but the bigger opponent is the audience watching the match. I always emphasize that a pro wrestler is only a pro wrestler if he wins the battle with the audience. He also seeks to train his wrestlers to take on management roles, as seen now with Akito acting as the EVP of the company and people like Shunma Katsumata working in merchandising and Yuki Ueno working as the manager of their bar subsidiary, Dropkick. On this, he states... DDT has always been my one-man organization, for better or worse, and if things continue as they are now, I honestly feel as if it will be the end when I am gone. I don't want this to be the case, so recently I have been gradually delegating some of the management decisions. On top of that, I would like to increase my role as a producer. After all, it is a world where ideas are the deciding factor, and I feel that I need to grow more as a producer myself, showing that no matter how far DDT has come since a little dramatic dream in 1997, 
there are still plenty of ways to grow and Takagi is always looking to grow with it. When asked about thinking of retirement from in-ring activities, Takagi states in his interview with Liam, oh, all the time. I still think about it right now. I would retire if the timing is right. However, I've been seeing fellow wrestlers that I know retire and then come back. And I want to retire at the perfect timing when I can steal the spotlight entirely for myself. If I'm going to retire, I'm going to make it count and have a more impactful retirement than anyone else ever has. I probably will not return to the ring once I retire, but that is precisely the reason why I want to have the best retirement ever, which makes it that much harder to come across the perfect timing to leave. That is the most Takagi quote I've ever had to listen to ever. <laughs> it is. It's also really funny um, thinking about how he is very good friends with Atsushi Onita. <laughs> um, and he was actually a fan of Onita first. And then uh, eventually they developed sort of this friendship and uh, Onita will appear in DDT. But it's very funny to see him uh, almost shading him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I do have some fun facts and trivia in the uh, spirit of your wonderful uh, Jumbo Saruta episode. I decided to make some fun facts as well. Um, There's some really fun things I've come across in interviews. Uh, He doesn't do well with spicy food, which (laughs) I thought was cute. He should definitely be on Keto's YouTube channel and do like the spicy ramen challenge. Oh, he has to. That should be, that should be the crux of their feud. That should (laughs) should do that in the ring cyber fight festival 2023 i've got this oh yeah yeah he is a fan of former akb 48 member marika shinoda he's obviously a fan of akb in general but he's a uh, big fan of idols grab your idols um, often talking of recruiting different grab your idols and talents into becoming wrestlers he's very big on the celebrity wrestler Sensher Takagi, to that end, has always had his finger on the pulse of pop culture and is, of course, really well known for his enjoyment of WWE and has done multiple impersonations of WWE wrestlers in his career, including The Rock and CM Punk, complete with full tattoos, among others. (laughs) However, he is still best known for his impersonation of Steve Austin, to the point where he was named special promotional director for Austin's first movie, The Condemned, known as Kankogushima or Prison Island in Japanese, when it premiered in Japan in 2009. He also used to appear regularly on WWE SmackDown when it aired on Fuji Television, where he provided in-studio recorded commentary. I need to hear some of these episodes where he's provided commentary. Yeah, I'll have to dig around and see yeah. if there's any Fuji television <laughs> recordings of SmackDown. That'd be uh, very, very fun, very interesting. So we mentioned way back when that he ran for the Kanagawa House of Representatives. And occasionally you will see the election poster that he used or even parodies of Takagi's election speech from that time. And they'll be pulled out during matches as a spiritual weapon that does psychic damage on Takagi. When Dino was legitimately running for House of Representatives in Kanagawa, same district and everything, 
um, he parodies Takagi's speech and Takagi gets very, very heated about it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They make it a whole in-ring storyline. They have a whole street show dedicated to it. Oh yeah. It's very fun how DDT thinks on all levels of everything. They're always playing 3D chess with themselves. And Takagi, this is a really fun story. Takagi thinks of himself as a very strong drinker who can hold his alcohol. However, he does recount in a 2020 interview on Joshi Wrestling, this really cute story of how he went out for a drink with Kyoko Inoue. Before long, they found themselves in a drinking contest. They ended up drinking about 10 cases of canned beer and several bottles of undiluted whiskey. He had drunk himself to sickness, but Kyoko was perfectly fine, having completely drunk him under the table. Like he completely underestimated her. He said that he's like, oh, this I, I got this easy. And no, no, that is not how it went. <laughs> Takagi will, and we talked about this, will often travel to other organizations and appear there. When asked about it in the third part of his interview with Nobaaki Hattori, he states, That is because I myself have been a wrestling fan for a long time and there is no deep strategic reason for it. So I think that speaks to what you were talking about with that selflessness. While he believes thoroughly that innovation and doing things differently from the grain will set DDT ahead, he still loves pro wrestling as it just is and states, anyway, it's not enough to just do new things, but I would like to carry on the joy and splendor of wrestling from the past as well. So that being said, we do know that Takagi does so much to bring us the new in wrestling, but do you think he has also succeeded in merging that newness with the past? I do. I do. I think he sees a lot of value in that. I think that's a lot of the reason why Noah was brought into uh, what we now have as cyber fight is that he sees a lot of value in touching on every single aspect of pro wrestling. You'll see it in DDT as well, where he really wants to combine that classic pro wrestling style with the comedy of DDT. Um, It's not easy to get a company that has a something for everyone approach. I could name an endless amount of companies that attempt a something for everyone approach and and may not hit it or have even decided to favor just one style uh, because it just, it works better for them. But DDT, I think has really managed to find that sort of uh, niche, that sort of niche that appeals to everyone, which is very unusual. And I think a lot of that comes from Takagi's love of comedy of pop culture of the modern stuff but also from pro wrestling as a core from uwf to everything that makes wrestling what it is today he he honors the tradition and he embraces the new and i think that's why ddt manages to hit on everything in a pretty even pace he really does in that way set himself up as a a true modern pioneer of pro Yeah, it's always hard. You don't really want to put people on pedestals and that's not really what, you know, we're doing here, but it's very easy to see how Takagi has a genius about him. He's incredibly smart. He's thinking of all 
corners of the industry. And he's always trying to push those ideas. I love the quote that's just in a world where ideas reign supreme. And that's really speaks to who he is and what he values. And he values it in all of his wrestlers as well. He wants to get those wrestlers who have that genuine love of wrestling that are innovative. That's why you have um, him bringing in Mao, who was a backyard wrestler. And actually, I believe Takeshita was a, was a backyard wrestler as well when he discovered him. And he wants those people that speak to just the love and innovation of the industry to carry the industry into the future. And to that end, I absolutely see him as a pioneer and a, and a very rare one at that. Thank you all so much for listening to and supporting Kickout. We are so grateful for all of you and for your support and enthusiasm always. Please don't forget to subscribe to or follow us on your platform of choice so that you get our episodes first when they drop. Subscribing to us and giving us a five-star review or rating on your preferred platform really helps us as we grow Kickout. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Kickout299, and you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. that's M-I-I-K-Y star, and you can find Alicia at Kai with two eyes. Don't forget that you can check out kickout299.wordpress.com for different articles, reviews, things of that nature. And you can also email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. You can submit questions there or feedback. And if you have an interest in submitting a pitch for the blog or podcast, please do so there as well. We have some exciting episodes coming your way. On June 21st, we have our Noah Factions episode. On July 5th, we have our Antonio Inoki versus Muhammad Ali episode. And as always, make sure you follow our Twitter to see what else we have planned for upcoming episodes and projects. Thank you all so much, and we will talk to you soon.